Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. And it's cool because each time, I know that um, if, we're, if we're attentive to that, but that's really what he does. He actually speaks to different ones because, you know, when, when you go into someone's home, right, the orchestrator of the home is not the people that are the guests, right? The orchestrator of the home is the one who owns the home. And so when we go into God's home, he's the one that has the keys. He's the one that has all the authority and everything. So when we go into his home, we should expect that he's going to lead the way and he's going to do that. And so today we're actually going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and, his, and how he loves us and how it's so vital, how it's so important to have the Holy Spirit. I know we're on Thanksgiving, and, you know, a lot of people think, you know, tie it in to, to that, and I just, when I was praying about it, you know, I was really feeling like there was just something different, just something that God wanted to do around this, so that's where I'm going to go with it, and so, you know, one of the things that I find most challenging, though, whenever we're talking about something like the Holy Spirit is, is that we can have a corrupted mind, and we lack um, a lot of knowing him, you know, and it's like, it's interesting because in that, that passage, um, or in that song, right, it's like seeking him, finding him, right, and then when we know him, it's like we fall in love with him, so it's like there's this thing that keeps transpiring to get us closer and closer with him, and it's interesting because it actually ties into the sort of the way that I'm, I'm looking at uh, um, talking about this, Corrupted minds, lack of knowing him, what does, that, what does that bring? You know, if you look at the protests that happened, uh, that was a pretty heated thing, right? Like downtown, if you were down there uh, or in any city, de- depending on where, where you were, there were a lot of protests going down uh, at, at, city, at the city hall, uh, just about the school system and about like, you know, raising our kids and all of that kind of stuff. And so there was a big uproar on both sides of the fence of this. We had, um, I, I was, down there and I, and I was talking to people on both sides. It was really, um, really heated at some points, which was not good um, because there were definitely a lot of people that had a good intention for being down there, but like there were like foghorns playing. There was, um, you know, sirens, all sorts of stuff to be able to drown out everything. And the thing that I kept hearing is this stark contrast. Either, you know, you, you either are loving or you're hating. And so there was a definition that each person had when they went down there. And it was, I'm going to pigeonhole you into this position that you're either going to be, you know, uh, you're going to be a hater of, you know, the LGBTQ uh, community, or, you know, you're going to stand for all the things that we care about. Like that's, that's it. You either, you know, and the blindsidedness of this is that by actually having this form of hatred and by actually contextualizing somebody in a framework like that is that you miss the intention and the heart of a person because at the root of it if you actually look at the the fundamental of of like what human expression was made to be like how we were actually uh, how we're actually wanting to position ourselves, even in that, in the, and that this isn't even going into like a, um, a spiritual principle, but the way we position ourselves, even in that, it's like, you know, the, the heart behind a person is actually far deeper than what is 
shallow, shallowly presented to, to the mass population. The way that they want the way that people want to frame people out and shallowly, shallowly present them um, as being either one or the other. And so this is a really interesting thing because it actually was the example I wanted to use to be able to say that the Holy Spirit loves you. And the definition behind that is so construed sometimes because our carnal mind is that, that person that wants to, uh, it wants to identify the Holy Spirit in a way that we want him to be presented. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is far superior than the framework that we put him in. Just like how when you go and you talk to somebody, they're far deeper than their political stance. They're far deeper than just simply, you know, wanting to be a hater person. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see a lot of people running around going, I can't wait to hate on someone, you know? Like, they're not doing that. And in the same way, when we look at the Holy Spirit, we look at his love, a lot of times we get it mixed up. And because we get that mixed up, we lose the very essence of like what the Holy Spirit is. We lose the, the sensation and the presence and the power and the magnitude and the connection and all of the little, like the little tiny intricacies of how we are meant to be connected together. And so if we just go into passage here, it's like we look in 1 John 4, 9 to 10, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That is real love, is that he came to take away the sin. You were already that sinner. You were already somebody who was already lost. And it wasn't that you did anything great. It wasn't that... You know, because a lot of times we think, well, I have to build up, you know, I have to build up myself. I have to be something better. I have to be something greater. I have to do some kind of an accomplishment or I have to um, appease a certain amount of people in my life or I have to, you know, um, appease, um, you know, something internal inside of me. And then I'm going to be able to have that justification for my salvation. But we're not getting our salvation through that justification. We're getting our salvation because of that love that Jesus simply poured out for free. And then he wanted you to have that love and that sacrifice so that you wouldn't have sin. So you don't have to have sin. But we can we get it construed. Even though we may we may believe in the gospel message, we, we still get it kind of construed because our carnal man, our, our mind, our own mind gets in the way. Our own psychology gets in the way. So if we go to Romans 5.8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You were the sinner. Mustafa, you were a sinner. Jesus saved you. Amen. Same with me. Aaron, sinner. Jesus saved me. Nobody is, nobody is, uh, nobody can be put on a pedestal. No man has the right to be able to be the son of God in the sense that they were able to free people. 
from their sin. It was only Jesus Christ who could free people from their sin. And then it says that he loved us and died for us while we were sinners. So while, he, while we hated him, whatever we did, you know what I mean, prior to even getting to know him, all of those things were negative. The things that you do um, prior to Christ were very negative and they were very mean and they actually probably hurt Jesus as well as hurting others around you. So that is the extent that you were and the extent that we continue to have to work through. But yet Christ decided because he loved you before you became anything, he said, that's what I'm going to love is you. So you don't do anything to get any of that love. That's what Christ did. And that's the definition that he has on how he sees each person. And then we read in 1 John 3, 1, it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. So not only are we receiving this love that's not required of us for anything that we can do for it, but now he's going to call us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. So it's like people that aren't actually being saved, they don't understand. They can't recognize what's going on. They can't see. They can't see the fruit that's in your heart. They can't see it because it's not visible to them. That's what the scripture's saying there. But it's like we're still a child. And it's a really interesting dynamic because it's like, you know, when I walk around in my day to day, sometimes I just you know, I can feel that sense of being a child, but at the same time, it's like at times it just feels like it can be hidden. At times it can just feel like there is no person that's, that can recognize that, you know, outside of like um, the faith, right? Outside of like people that understand that true faith and, you know, can have those heartfelt discussions where the Holy Spirit is working on each one of us. Like there's a, there's a working of your heart that ends up happening that the Holy Spirit is doing, right? And so in that process of having him work that out in your heart, it's that, you know, you can have that, that sonship, that childlike type behavior where now you can feel protected under that love and under that connection with him. <clears throat> so here's another interesting thing, is that with going after the Holy Spirit, it's not as simple, as inconsistent with our, uh, thought process kind of love because a lot of times the way that we want to contextualize our love is by maybe there's like a romance novel that you you know read or maybe there's like movies that you watched or maybe you know for um, you know a lot of guys there could be a lot of perversion in regards to what that definition of how love is portrayed so there's a lot of things that become very inconsistent because there's a simplistic nature that comes from when you look at the carnal mind is, let's say we start dabbling into understanding that love. It's like we start losing it because a lot of times we don't actually know the depth of how God is. We don't understand the magnitude of like even what love really is. We don't understand how humanity is. We don't understand the complexity of the person and, and, and what he's actually working through. Like you know, what is love, right? Like, what is that love? You know, what, what does that really mean? Like, you know, 
what, you know, when, when someone does something in your life, how do you know if that's love or not, right? You know, like, there's all sorts of different things that people do, but is it based in love? Because sometimes even things that look like they're based in love aren't actually not. They're, they're actually foiled with an, another type of, um, another type of purpose, right? Like, there's some people, like in Hollywood, that are just wanting fame, right? They don't care about any of their viewers. They just want people to, you know, to just value something inside of them, but they don't actually love the people that are around them. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we get wrong. A lot of these things are very wrong. And so I want to bring out some of those complexities because, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is how far exceeding the love of God is how far great his power is that he is able to actually work through your life. Like when we talk about his love being to that extent that when you are a sinner, here's some personal examples because I feel like I need some examples now. It's not going to land anywhere if I don't have some examples because I'm kind of going down a bunny trail here. So an example would be when I was a kid, right? I remember playing video games and I remember being at a point in time in my life when the video games became intense and I was playing them quite a bit. And so then all of a sudden, I just felt from out of nowhere, out of the blue, just this voice that said, you know, and, and I know it's God. It was like, if you stop playing video games, I'll make you into a great leader. That was it. And I'm like, I called my mom down. I think I'm like, I think I was like nine at the time or something like that. Um, and I called her in and I said, this is what I heard. And I couldn't get it out of my head for like two, three, four days. And I, but I stepped, kept playing like a game and I was like, but this thing just kept rattling around in my brain. Doom, 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 doom. And I didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden, I just basically, you know, broke down and just, it, it broke. I just, I, I didn't have the same desire anymore. Now, did I stop playing video games like, you know, religiously, like, I will never touch a game ever again and kick out the system and all that kind of stuff. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, there was like this, an attraction and this attention that I had to games. And so then what ended up happening is that when I stopped actually doing that, all of a sudden I'm over at my friend's place and I, a few friends places. And I remember playing a game and I could just see, you know, when they were grabbing the controller and they were like, and like all intense and like really upset when I, when they lost and everything. And all of a sudden, it was like there was just this part in, inside of my inner man that I was just like, I just don't have, I just, I don't care. <laughs> like, why are we so emotional over this thing? And it was, but it was a, a situation that ended up being an important point in my life. And you know what the really cool thing is? You know, fast forward to when you can start learning about psychology and things like this. So anyways, I remember hearing, um, you know, uh, some of you guys might know Jordan Peterson. He's like um, a guy that uh, is a, a psychologist and uh, he talks about all sorts of different things. And one of the things he talked about was, uh, and this, this one clip was about video games. And he talked about for guys in particular and he said, you know, why do guys end up going down that path? And it's like, you know, it's very abstract and you know, there's all these different challenges that they have to do and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, but he said, you know, a lot of the times he's like, these guys actually need to have challenges in their life that are far greater than what they're actually dealing with. Like they actually need to be put into facing some dragons in their life. And you know what's really crazy about that? 
is it actually lines up in a lot of ways with the, the way that God spoke a word into that situation. Like, you know, you talk about understanding a person and what's loving, you know, that is very loving to say, you know, I want to, you know, you're going to be a, a great leader, like saying something like that. What does that mean? That means something to that person. That means that he actually understood the psychology of a human and understood that there's something that I have to grapple with in my own life. Amen? Like we all have things that we have to deal with in our own life. But in that process, it was like God was saying that and then it was like, yeah, you know what? That's something that I need to hold on to. And that's something that I can fight for. And that's something that actually gives more meaning and purpose to me. And so now in my life, right? You know, I play, I'll, I'll play a video game, I don't care. Like, but at the same time, I, like, I, I don't play them often. Like, my life gets too busy, and it gets crazy sometimes, and I just, there's no space for it. And it doesn't matter to me anymore, because it doesn't have it, the same meaning. It doesn't have the same drive behind it. But the cool thing is that the, the, the person that I am was being factored in, that his love and his care for the actual design of the person was factored in, that he actually cared even when nobody understood my parents loved me. They couldn't understand that same kind of dynamic. They couldn't say that to me, right? They could maybe understand, hey, like, you know, there's things that he needs to do or, you know, they, they, they grow me, they help to, to flourish and, and to instill lots of values in me. But at the same time, you have a heavenly father, right? And what does the heavenly father do? He is able to see through every tiny detail of every single finite thing in your life. And the cool thing is that somebody who actually loves you will factor in every dynamic. Someone who loves you pays attention to every detail. Now, if you were to take something like that, right, now you have something a little bit different. Now you understand something where love is done in a different way. It's displayed differently, right? And so there's a lot more of a complex nature to the love of God that's more vital, I think, to the success of us being developed then if you were to take something like just, you know, a simple little love story that's a fairy tale that actually isn't factoring in the dynamic of how a human is and isn't factoring in the full scope of the person that you are, you know, or appeasing your, uh, appeasing your emotions, just appeasing your, your, your today feelings, appeasing the, the way that you want to be appeased. Um, another example is, uh, you know, I, you know, fell away from God, right, when I was in my uh, teenage years, when I was in high school, and, you know, got into doing, like, drugs and all sorts of really crazy, stupid stuff, and, you know, coming back to Jesus, right, and there was a process of even having, um, like, a drug-induced psychosis at one point in my life, and you know what the crazy thing is, is that all of the instances of how the enemy wanted to destroy my life all of the paths that I went down, that God decided to do a complete 360, that first he, he actually healed my mind when I was at um, an encounter weekend. I was completely healed in my mind. Then there was this healing process that took place, but the, the effects of all of that were basically stopped in its path, and then it started to have a healing process in my mind. And So anyways, there were these things that happened where I ended up going to school, and so then I was... I was basically getting to a point where instead of being somebody who, you know, can't understand a whole lot 
And really, I couldn't even, at one point, I couldn't, I, like, I could read a paragraph, and I would get everything jumbled up by the time I'm done the paragraph, and I would actually not understand the beginning of the paragraph. That's how, how messed up, psychologically, we're talking about here. Now, you're talking to somebody who went to university, and in his year four, going into the end, had, like, over 90s as the average, okay? So, you know, like, those aren't things that are done, um, you know, without the power of God, because there was a scripture verse that he gave me before I went into school, and he said, you know, uh, just like how Daniel had given the, that God gave him the gift of the knowledge of the land, that's what he was going to do for me, and so I stood on that scripture when I went into school, and my grades went up and up and up and up. That wasn't something that, I, that everyone else needs to experience. Not everybody needs to experience that same thing. That was something specific and tangible to the scenario that I was playing out in my life. Each one of us have these things that go on in our life, different strongholds, different principalities, different demons, different things that want to ensnare you. And I'm still going through battles today. But the thing is that that was something that got accomplished. Then, you know, I went and even worked in the ministry and child and youth services, right? A service that I ended up having to use, a, like a youth probation. That's basically what it is, right? And I'm there. And I'm like, you know, actually like doing work there and like going into the courts and all sorts of stuff and like helping out that way. Then working with like people that were homeless and dealing with the same mental, um, mental types of problems, um, you know, working on getting them housing, doing a 360, getting to a point where basically everything that I was doing wrong became the opposite of what I was doing. Look at someone like Paul in the Bible. What happened to that man? That man was a persecutor of Christians. That man was somebody who had a hatred towards the, um, towards the people of God and towards was persecuting Jesus. So what did Paul do, right? Paul had a life transformation moment where while he was still a sinner, yet God came and he saved them, right? What I'm getting at here, guys, is God's not also somebody who's not going to do the same for one and, and not do it for another. So a lot of people disqualify themselves, and we don't realize that God's actually working it out. He's working it out in your life, that the Holy Spirit is actually there, and he's actually pursuing you, and he's actually giving lots of different types of gifts and he's given, that he's given to you. Um, but, like, you have to understand something, is that... The complexities of mankind is what he's up against. The complexities are what he's battling with. So it's not the same. It's not what you, the way you envision how to, how to work through things. Let's go through John 6, 22 to 71. You know, Jesus was not very popular. And there were seasons in his life, um, you know, where he didn't have a lot of people around him. But if you look at the culture today, what is, what is it he doing? What is being influenced today? The whole world is upside down and being shooken because of Christianity and what has happened. But let's look back to the stage as to when Christ decided to actually walk on the earth and start doing things. Let's look at how he handled the complexities of people. And so in John 6... Uh, 22 to 71 it says the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken um, the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them several boats from um, Tiberias 
uh, landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to uh, Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. Okay, not the simple thing. Not the simple way of understanding love. Not the simple approach, right? Because he's probably going to lose people here by saying stuff like that. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. <laughs> what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you um, bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, but you haven't believed to, uh, you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. That's amazing, eh? For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my will, my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. Amen. That's amazing. Such power in that. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who, has, um, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Sorry if this is long, but it'll get to the main point in the end too. Um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Like, look how many times he's saying this about himself. Like, this is getting offensive to people. Um, anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world uh, may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And drink his blood, all right? Um, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my, bl my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of, not, um, because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Um, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what do you think um, if you see the Son of Man ascending to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But because, uh, but some of you do not believe me. Um, for Jesus knew from the beginning which one didn't believe and he knew who, would gonna, who was going to betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away. Disciples, guys, people following him, turned away and didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is a devil. He, has, um, he was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. Like... This is part of that complexity that I want to talk about. It's a little bit more complicated when we start dealing with the nature of people. Because it's not just like, oh, I love you, you love me. And like, just whatever that we, we look at the simplistic definition of what that love is. But then when you look at something like this, you know, you understand that Jesus was actually battling a human complexity. He was battling a complexity that was saying, you know, hey, guys, you know, you just want, you just, you just want a sign. You just want a nice tickling moment. And Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you any of it. He's saying, I want you to know that you need to get it from me. And he was actually speaking spirit and truth in the moment. And the people were offended. And he didn't mince his words. He was very, very um, direct in his approach. He was very bold in how he articulated himself. And he lost people that chose to walk another path. Disciples who knew Christ and who actually walked and heard his message and were able to take a step away from their, their natural life, whatever that might have been, and to follow after him. Those kinds of men and women 
were actually turned back from the way that he spoke. They were turned around and they did not like that and so they walked away. But then you look at his disciples, even then he's like, you know, what, are you gonna turn away from me? And then you look at, you know, he says that even one of them was a double. You know, Judas, the one who was gonna betray him. Like Jesus knew every single piece of information that was going on in that moment. Jesus knew every single complexity that was important for the success of each of those people that he was ministering to. Jesus knew what it would require to have salvation brought to this planet Earth, and he knows how to bring about a transformation that's going to happen at the later stages in, you know, when the whole world is going to come to that saving, um, you know, to, the, to that end times, when, when Christ is going to, you know, show himself and reveal himself in the end times. Now, here's an interesting thing, is that you think that by the time Jesus was done preaching and doing everything that he did, that he would have a significant amount of followers. In the day of Pentecost, how many people did Jesus have? He had 120 people, approximately, right? Maybe more, maybe less. He had about 120 people waiting. How many people are sitting here today? How many people are sitting here today? 120 people. That's it. That's all the people that were there. Where were all the people he touched? Where were all the people he healed? Where were all the people that had the transformation in their life? Where were they? Where were they to want to see God move in such a way in their community? Where were they? I can tell you something. That's something so much more sophisticated than your mind can comprehend is at play. Something so much more larger and in charge is at play that you don't even realize and I don't even realize. I can tell you one thing, that all of those people he was ministering to, he was not holding himself back. He was not putting himself into a spot where they were not going to have that freedom. Because even on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church right after that moment. Because there is an orchestrated plan to bring about humanity to its God-given destiny. And that's far more important and far more greater than anything that we can understand. And to understand that the love of God surpasses even your own nature, even your own capacity to understand how love works, is far more important to comprehend. Because by understanding that God loves you, and understanding that the complexity of that is far greater than you and I can actually fathom, you know, is extremely important to know because you need to get to a place inside of yourself where you get to this fullness of knowing who God is. You need to get to a place where God comes in and actually does some moving around of furniture and shakes you up a bit so that you can have a transformed spirit and that you can have a true life and a sense of purpose, belonging, and meaning. And actually come into a fullness of getting to know him. Because one thing I know is that he revealed his end plan. And his end plan is that you're going to have unity of spirit. That you're going to know Christ and be unified with him in spirit. And you're going to be in unity just like how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in that form of unity. 
That's the transformative power that he wants to bring every single person that actually says, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's the transformative power that's at work on the inside of each person. And guess what? He knows that you were the sinful person. He knows that you don't have the power. He knows that you don't have the substance. So stop acting like you do. Know that God is the one that's going to bring about that transformative power in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to be able to actually pursue and seek after you and get you to a place where you understand that. Now you might be saying, Aaron, you know, well, where do I come into the picture? Like, what do I do? Just sit there like a bump on the log? Absolutely not. Because here's the thing. When you look at the disciples, and even if you look at things like Jesus' final prayer and these kinds of things, you'll actually see a stark contrast to that. You'll actually see that these men were people that actually pursued after him. They actually went, and they gave it them their all. Sure, they fell, and they, 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 they didn't succeed in some of the things they did. You know, and right at the cross, they weren't there in that dire moment. But I can tell you one thing, that Jesus poured into them, and, and God chose them, and God knew that they were people that were going to seek after him, and that they were going to pursue after him. So the thing is that you actually have a part to play. Just because you understand that, you know, it's so complex and I can't understand it, doesn't mean that you now have this exemption card, and that you now get status to be able to say, well, now it's only the Holy Spirit that's at work. See, the thing is that the Holy Spirit is at work with you. The Holy Spirit is at work through you. The Holy Spirit is at work to perfect you. The only way that you're going to get to a place where you actually get to the perfection of Christ and you actually get to the fullness of the love of Christ is by you transforming your mind, transforming your spirit, and transforming your soul into every single fabrication of how God intended a human to be. And the only way that you can do that is by action, is by you actually having to take the steps and do the cost and pay the factor of whatever it takes to get there. You have to be able to do those kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit is actually there to be your enabler, to put you at a spot where you don't get to have to fall, where you can't get back up and actually get on the horse again and get going. And that's the beautiful thing about how the gospel is spread, that the Spirit of God is so powerful and works through every single person that it gets to a place where it's going to go to where God intended it to go. Because God understands the whole way on how it works. But he understands each person. And he understands that he's not playing into our hands. He's not playing the way that we want the rules to be played. I've tried so many times in my life to play by the rules that I like to play by. And he doesn't like to operate on those rules. I'm a very, very stable, consistent individual. And the life and the path that God chose for me was not a stable and inconsistent pathway. It wasn't something that I decided, but God chose something a little bit different. And so we have to get to a place where we say, even when I don't want to do something, even when I don't want to do something, if God said to do it, it's important. We need to challenge ourselves to do that. But the only way we're going to understand that is if we understand that God is first loving and that he takes the, the, the complexities of a man into, the, into account. If you can't understand that, you won't be able to get the point of understanding that. Unless, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to just like somehow download it to you, which he, he will do. Because even when no one knows, just like that example when I was given when I was a, a kid, even when no one knows, even when you don't even have a desire, even when you're negative, even when you're a sinner 
of a sinner, even in those darkest of times, that God in those pockets of times still takes into account who you are and says, despite any of that, it doesn't matter to me because I'm choosing you and because you're going to have a transform, uh, transformed nature. That's, that's the power of God, is that he does those things despite even your, your simple efforts. But I can tell you one thing, that he wants to use you. He wants to actually work with you. He doesn't want you to sit on the sideline. He's not after a robot. He's after somebody who has a will, emotions, who desires after him, who actually wants to long after him. And he knows that a desire is not a simple desire. It's not just dangling a little carrot like the way we do in society. Oh, you know, like let's get a good, nice ad out there for coming in for our fancy burger and get everybody all hooked on greasy burgers. No, he's, not at, he's, he's way more complicated than that in, in his approach to each one of us. So in Matthew uh, 13, 44 to 46 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, guys, a hidden treasure, right? So in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. That's what the disciples were doing. They gave up everything they had to go after and follow him. That is what we have to get to in our spirit. When we know that we have something so powerful like the Holy Spirit, don't be limited based on how you even understand church right now or just even, you know, the way that you're doing life right now. Like, understand that there's something bigger that, that, you need to, that we need to factor in. We have to be able to get to a spot where we say we're going to count that kind of cost. That we're going to, you know, we're going to do that kind of thing, right? And, and follow after it. You know, and, you know, the Holy Spirit is the only one able to do all of these things. Apart from him, we, you know, we would be so lost. Apart from him, we would, it says that it's impossible to please God. So, apart from the Holy Spirit, we're, we're not going to do anything. But you have to pursue it. Another passage of scripture says in Matthew 25, 1 to 30, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the, by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. At, um, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the uh, marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, um, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I do not know you, so you too must um, keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Again, the kingdom of heaven. Um, okay, and we'll, we'll read the other one. Guys, you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know what is going to happen next. Why are we not being prepared? You know, like when, when we have prayer, when we have things that go on, 
Like, let's get in there, you know? Everybody, but I, you know, I, I see this thing that happens, this little phenomenon thing. You know, we all want a revival, right? There's a lot of people that talk about that. Well, they only want to show up when the revival's around. Who wants to show up when there isn't a revival? Who wants to sit there and wait when there's nothing happening? And you have to sit there and you're counting the drops that are coming down and you're saying, all right, there's a drop of the Holy Spirit. There's another drop of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? And you're kind of counting it and you're saying, okay, I don't care. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be those that are actually waiting, that are standing watch and waiting, that are going to be able to receive him. Because he's looking for something greater. He's looking for something deeper. You can't just, you can't just hide it. You have to be able to pursue that love. And so um, another passage of scripture says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. So continuing on, um, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servant and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another, one bag to another, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. So based upon ability, because everybody had different types of abilities, right? He gave them and distributed it. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, okay? Now, I, I do think like, you know, in that regard around investments, because it is something that I do just on the side, right? And so, um, you know, and he earned five more. And then, so that, that's where I can relate with this. So I, I'm gonna tie that a little bit of that in. Um, so the servant with two bags um, of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account and how they used the money. The servant to whom he had gave him five bags of silver to invest um, had earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came, um, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will go, uh, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver um, came and said, Master, I, know, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from his servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they, um, what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this youthless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew, little heavy, but this is the thing. You know, like what I wanted to tie into was with the investments, and this is where I can relate with it is, you know, a lot of people, they look at the investments and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in it. It's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of risk. There's risks that, that get tied to investments. And so, you know, there's, times where you need to go a little bit higher or maybe a little bit lower in risk but the, the interesting thing is that you know when you're doing that even in investments there's a volatility component to investments there's up and down cycles 
And there's all sorts of different things that happen. There's economics that are at play. And there's a lot of information you need to get connected with in order to be able to, you know, to make well, uh, like to actually make capable decisions. But here's the interesting thing is that God said that I would give, uh, that he gave to each one of them according to their ability. So here's an interesting thing is that we actually have the capacity as children of God to be able to sow and actually be able to grow and develop things. That God created you with, with an actual component of being able to do different types of things. Like he's actually given you abilities. You might not recognize it or maybe you look at God and you, know, you look at him as a taskmaster, but we don't want to look at God that way. God understands your ability. He understands where each one of us are at, right? He understands where I'm at. And the interesting thing is that you know, in those investments, those guys had to work for that. They didn't just get those investments and just go, oh yeah, I just like, you know, put the investments in and that was it. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't do anything. I just kicked my feet up, you know? I went on a big, nice vacation, you know? And that investment just grew and grew and grew. And then I came back and I'm like, God, look at what I got for you, you know? That's not how it worked. You know how much work is involved with an investment? You know how much work is involved with anything that God has given you? With your abilities? You want to grow an ability? You want to develop and have like multiplication factors that are taking place? You need to actually choose to get inside yourself and say, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to push myself on the edge. I'm willing to actually sweat a bit. And I'm willing to have things actually pushed inside of me a bit more. And so that's an interesting thing because, you know, now you've got the other, um, and sorry if I'm uh, coming off a little, <laughs> but guys, this is, this is really important. Like God is loving and it's more complex. All right. And you can see here that even in his aggression, even in a lot of the things where he's saying, you know, like you won't be in heaven if you don't do anything with your abilities. It's because he wants people that are actually going to be people that come into a fullness of who he is, that come into an understanding of what it means to even be a person. Like God is desiring people that want to pursue after the things that he has planned for their life. Like he wants people to do those things. Like look at what happened with that last servant. He said, oh, you're a taskmaster. You're a hard person. I didn't want to lose it, right? What did he do? He did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. The, the, not even the minimum. He did nothing. He could have just put it in the bank like he was saying. And he did nothing. But guess what? He had the ability because God sowed an ability into him. God knew that that person was made with the ability. That person that had the one had an ability. Just like you. You all have abilities. We all have abilities. What I'm trying to get at here is there's no excuse. In the end, there's not going to be an excuse for any one of us. We're not going to have any excuses. We have to be able to grow in knowing who the Holy Spirit is. We have to know that he has our best interests at hand. We have to know that the power of God is capable of transforming lives. We have to know that we have to be pursuant. Uh, we have to pursue after that. We have to grow. We have to mature. We have to develop. We have to do things in that regard. And, you know, it was really interesting. I remember talking to the Holy Spirit once and this was like a while ago, but I was like, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I'm always talking about what's going on in my life, but what are you doing? And all of a sudden, I just had like this vision 
where, like just in my head, but it was just a vision, and it was like these big flames of fire, and it was like on the, on the front of the flame of fire was this face of a lion, and it was just boom, 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 hitting all over the earth, um, and it was just, it was actually something just for that day, which was really cool, but he's like, um, I, I, he's like, I'm stirring up the spirit of a lion in, in, uh, in the churches, and that's what he told me, and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, and then that day, I ended up like watching like a sermon clip, and they were talking about that, and then I was talking to my grandma, and she's like, you know, in my devotions today, I had this about like the lion, and, and just like, you know, the ten tenaciousness of that, I'm like, what? I'm like, man, I'm like, Holy Spirit, you're amazing, you're doing stuff, like, look at what you're doing inside of each person, amen? And, you know, God loves you so much, and he has so many things in store for you, you know? And here's an interesting, is that there's things going on right now inside of our city, even with, like, one church, all the things that we have there, you know, all of these kinds of things are going on, and, you know, there's things right now where we've got the mayor, we've got different politicians and people that are coming to a prayer breakfast. You are all able to go there and, and to minister to these people. They're wanting us to pray for them. So if you want to go to a breakfast and actually pray for these leaders and sow a seed, you get the ability to do that. There's one example of something. And there's all sorts of other things that we're actually, as a church, that we even have with tying into this whole component of one church and being able to actually work with, with other churches in the area and actually start doing some different things. We're actually in the process of actually framing out some of those things, and we're working with the different um, churches and, and working with their teams to be able to start getting the teams together and start moving on stuff. Like, we're not just sitting around. No one's wanting to sit around here, and, you know, we want to have every one of us being able to have that same spirit of just going after God and doing this life of pursuing after who God is and learning about the love of God, right? Because we fall more in love with who Jesus is as we learn about these things. You know, and the Spirit of God is so powerful. Like, if you look back at Moses or David or even Solomon, you know, like when you look at Moses and you hear all the things that happened with Moses, that man didn't want to do any of those things. That man was just simply, you know, right there at that time when God needed him. You know, when he split the, like when the, the sea was split open, that was the spirit of God that split that sea open. That man just lifted up that rod. And each one of us have that rod that we need to lift up and we need to be able to sow and do. And God wants to use you mightily. And he wants you to do those things in, in, this, in this world. And that's, those are a lot of the stories that we get where the Holy Spirit uses them. David was so persistent in wanting to, um, to pursue after God, God said, you're not a man that I can use to build the temple because you've killed. So then, right? Um, then you have Solomon. So then you have like, you know, you have him building, like taking all of the materials and everything to be able to build that temple because his heart was right. His pursuit was right. And in that pursuit, that that's where God used him. God used him in the pursuit because David was wanting that pursuit of him. He didn't want to go sit in a cave and do all of the things that he had to do. He didn't want to have to go off the battle. He didn't want to have to deal with all of his men being upset. David didn't want any of those things. David wanted to have the people of Israel at peace, at home. That's what he wanted. But in the pursuit of going after God, in the pursuit of that requires a cost. It requires something. 
We're almost done here. Last verse. Luke 18, 9 to 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One righteous and, uh, or sorry, uh, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood uh, by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast, like check this out, fast, that's not eating, twice a week, right? And I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So even in our pursuits, that even in the pursuits of people that are trying to be like those Pharisees, like trying to be a, a person that pleases God, even in that pursuit, you can get to a place where you actually don't have that connection with God. We can get to places. And if you look at this, Jesus sees everything. He sees every dynamic with every person. Don't think that you deserve something just because you've done it for so long. Don't think that you've now earned your way to heaven. Don't think that you gave up something that is of, you know, great value, so much so that you can, you know, you can bank your salvation on it. Don't think that you have accomplished something like that because only Christ is capable of saving you. Only the Holy Spirit is capable of drawing you. God took the worst of the worst and made them into something. Your brother and sister, the people that you look around at, don't look at them and don't despise them. And when you're going out <clears throat> and trying to do things, or let's say you jump on some of these things with, with uh, the church, some activities we do to help our community, or you know, maybe you jump into something with one church, all that kind of stuff. Maybe there's things that you do that way, right? Don't, don't get too caught up in this idea that there's something, because God is paying attention to far more things than you realize. And so we have to work out our salvation. There's so many things to our salvation, but at the same time, you know, with this verse, the one thing that I always like to talk about when, when I bring up this verse too is, let's look at the tax collector. If that tax collector wasn't looking down like this, was actually looking up, like if that tax collector wasn't in the position of beating his chest, like who knows what his chest was beaten with, right? Like how he was beat, how hard he was beating himself. This man, this man was deeply, deeply apologetic. This man knew the wrong that happened. That's what that man did. And that man was able to be justified because of that. Just because someone is a sinner doesn't mean that they're justified. It's the repentant sinner that becomes justified because we live in a culture, and the reason why I bring that one up is because we live in a culture today with an entitlement without a form of repentance, with a form of, I deserve everything, but it's like, no, you actually don't deserve anything. And that's the concept that we're trying to get through, <laughs> that we don't deserve anything. And that's why the Pharisee was caught off guard, because he didn't deserve, because you can't do anything that way. But the thing is, to go after knowing God, to get to a place of understanding the love of God, 
requires an actual working out of some really deep, hard things. And that we actually have to do something to really get that knowledge. That in the pursuit after those things, that's what you will, that's when you'll actually start finding out who God is. So, yeah. So there you go. That's it. And the Holy Spirit, guys, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is so powerful. Guys, the Holy Spirit is something to fathom. The Holy Spirit is so loving. Can we just get the worship team up, and then we're just going to wrap it up in just entering into, um, if we can just sing that last song. And just, if you're somebody here, and, um, and you're wanting to have God just like move in your life, don't be shy. Stand, stand up. Just, just be praying, and just give it to God. If you want to come up to the front, go ahead. I'm not going to be praying for anybody um, for this, but I just, if you're wanting to pursue after God, just have that position inside of yourself to say, God, I want to be someone that's going to pursue after you. God, first off, I know you love me so much. I know that you, you died for me. I know that you, there was nothing I, I deserve. Like, just understand that love. Understand that there's so many things at play. Just be asking God, God, what are those, those, those things, those challenges, those ensnarements in my life, Lord God? God, I pray that you would just work on us. So God, we just pray that you would just work on those things, Lord God. And I thank you that even if we don't pray, that you're still going to do it. We thank you, Lord God, for your loving power, Lord God. We thank you that your love, Lord God, compels us to, to be loving to our neighbors, Lord God. God, I pray that we would be pursuers, Lord God, that we wouldn't just sit on the sideline, Lord God, and just hope that something's going to happen one day, Lord God, but that we would take our faith, we would take our salvation, and we would, Lord God, pick up our cross, and we would come after you, that we would learn the love of, of you, Lord God, that we would learn, Lord God, your love, Lord God, that we would understand you more, Lord God. God, I pray that we would come into that Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.